Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Rick Sweet. And my name is Jay Swords. This is the podcast segment of the show that's not broadcast on Station KLA. Our guests for this retrospective 420th show are the ROI crew and Taronda Spencer, historian and archivist for Spelman College, who was in show 47, and Dr. James Kibbe, world-renowned expert on Bach, who was in show 135. And those were the award-winning ROI shows um, from the Iowa Broadcast News Association in 2009. Our history buff is Terry Toppler. So... On the radio portion, uh, we gave everybody a chance to listen to Taronda, first of all, talk about the archives in Spelman College, and then later take me to task for dissing librarians. So we have one more clip for her that we would like to sort of start out our, our podcast version. And this clip really talks about that beginning of Spelman College and the association between the founders of Spelman College and W.E.B. Du Bois. So please take a listen to this and then we'll come back and we'll chat a bit about it. What's marvelous? We have our friends here, the deciders, has some questions for you. But the first one we have to throw out is, and we've been waiting for this, was Mr. Du Bois's statement that Spelman was the first college for black women in the South? Is that accurate? Is it inaccurate? Or was he, instead of a home run, was it a double? I mean, how exactly, how exactly do you approach this <laughs> well statement? <put. laughs> well, yes, Spelman was the first of the women's colleges, uh, the black women's colleges. Well, let me clarify that even more. <laughs> You're trying for double, too, I see. The black women's schools to reach a college status. Mm-hmm. Now, there were other schools open for black women in, um, in the country before Atlanta was opened, mm-hmm. before uh, Spelman was opened in Atlanta. So, yes, Spelman is the oldest of the historically black college for women, for there now there are only two. Spelman and the Bennett College for Women in Greensboro, North Carolina, but Spelman was not the first black school open for women, um, for black women in, in the United States. Okay. Matt, that, do you have a question? Does that make sense? Uh, yes, sure. it does. Yeah, very, very. Um, I hope I'm not stealing someone else's question, but the uh, at your role as is archivist and historian, um, what uh, in our topic today has been uh, Du Bois, what what holdings or what have you come across that might uh, e- either be little known about Du Bois um, or what? how does Spellman and Du Bois inter- intersect? Well, actually, uh, Mr. Du Bois lectured on Spellman's campus for a number of years when he was a uh, professor uh, and head of uh, department at Atlanta University. When I say Spellman is a part of a consortium of colleges, um, we are talking about the institutions being separated by hedges and sidewalks. Mm-hmm. So uh, Mr. Du Bois was um, a member of the faculty of Atlanta University. He often walked down to uh, Spelman College to lecture um, to the students um, here on Spelman's campus in the classroom and as well as um, during, 
for special events and convocation series. So Mr. Du Bois had a great influence on the women uh, who graduated from Spelman College. Okay. All right. I'd like to ask our history buffs. This was such an important part, particularly you heard Madubi LeBeau in the radio portion uh, ask a fabulous question about what's in the archives. And now here we have Matt Tremble, another history buff, who asks this great lead-in that gives you a sense of just how interconnected uh, Atlanta University was and, and Du Bois was individually. Um, what do you think about asking questions of guests as a history buff? Is that a is it a difficult thing to do? Is it an exciting thing to do? Is it is it a nerve wracking thing to do? What's it like to be the the um, the interviewer? Well, if if um, we've talked about this over the years uh, since two thousand seven, uh, each one of us brings a, a different perspective to any subject we talk about on this show. And I think that's, that's one, one of the glorious things about ROI is you get such a wide range of, of uh, perspectives uh, expressed through those questions. But uh, I'm always interested in the, uh, actually it's kind of tried political, economic, social environment in which our guest is talking about. And as she's talking about this close-knitness of of these faculty members with these various colleges. And that makes absolutely total sense from my perspective of, of history in America. Okay. Terry, what do you think? And I think, too, what a wonderful thing for him to do, you know, to come to a woman's college. And, to, and I don't know if he was lecturing, but was he being paid for that? Or was it something he volunteered to do? We, we don't know exactly. But, you know, I come from the perspective of having... Um, quite a few educated women uh, in my family from the past at a time when female education was not taken for granted. Um, and briefly, I think about my grandmother who, who got a college degree uh, back in the early uh, 1900s, which is what she was talking about as well at this time period. And yet she was failed in German. She failed her German class. Um, she spoke German in the home. But when she went to a professor and asked why he failed her, he said because married women have no business being on campus. He didn't realize that she was a recent widow, regardless. But still, so for our family, it was a good thing because then she moved to Missouri and met my grandfather. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and and that actually brings up another point that that she she does a good job of talking about um, you know, is what it was like to be a woman going to a college. You know, this was certainly an all-female college and all the rest of that, but still, you know, just the idea, because at that point, as she said in the radio portion, that isn't the norm for the late nineteen, uh, late 1800s. Um, and so to have someone with Du Bois credentials and, and prestige who's coming down, making an effort to come over and do whatever lecturing or interactions that were involved. Um, you know, I, I can imagine how powerful that message was to the, to the women that were, that were there. Um, so when we got, by the time we get to Dr. Kibbe, um, and we're talking about Bach, uh, one of the things that fascinated particularly John 
was the idea of of what happened to Bach because we knew enough history about music to know that that Bach actually while he's marginally uh, well known in his own lifetime he's functionally forgotten and and absolutely eclipsed by his sons in terms of music uh, importance for a century and then all of a sudden he makes this gigantic comeback and becomes one of the triumvirate. If you think about classical music, you think about Bach, who really isn't a classical musician, by the way. That's one of the things Kibbe's going to point out. But you think of Bach, you think of Mozart, and you think of Beethoven. That's the big three. And yet, if you were a historian at the end of Bach's life, that is not what you would be thinking of. You would be thinking of this guy as a sort of marginally popular uh, pop musician of the time who, you know, who, who sold some records, maybe had a number one here or there, but, but sort of faded off into, the, into oblivion and was really not a big deal. Um, so it's interesting when we ask this question of Dr. Kibbe, and this is the clip you're going to hear, it's interesting Kibbe's response, and it puts that situation in a completely different light. So listen to this. Um, I'm a, uh, a historian first and a music lover second. So um, I'm just interested in sort of the historical context of Bach. How does he fit in uh, within the range of music? What are the immediate antecedents uh, for him? Uh, if if the, the music that he's doing is revolutionary, um, you know, in what ways is it revolutionary? Um, I know I gave you a bunch of questions there. You can pick whichever ones you like, but I'm, I'm really fascinated by him as a character and sort of where his place is in history. Well, so there are several things there that fit together. Uh, Bach was absolutely an innovator in the sense that it, from the very earliest of his compositions all the way through to the end of his life, every piece that he wrote has something unique. I mean, every composition has something that either he had never done before or typically no composer had ever done before. Uh, just this restless experimentation. And the other thing that is so remarkable about him is his ability to synthesize all of the influences in his education and his musical environment, the Italian style, the style of the central German composers, the style of the North German composers, the French, and he created out of that a synthesis that's greater than the sum of the parts. So then to, to leap to the, the other part of your question about what happens after Bach, the, the problem here is that he took this high Baroque style just as far as it could go. I mean, that after he was finished with it, he didn't leave any other composer much room to do anything. So historically, music had to take a sharp turn away from Bach's style at, at his death, and I mean, even his children began writing music in a, frankly, a radically different style because Bach had done as much as, as could be done with the Baroque. So he's, in a sense, he's, he was a victim of his own success in that uh, the, the people that followed him had nothing to build on. They, they had to, to start over with a, a different tack on uh, music writing. 
if this is, we sometimes get asked about the irrelevant part of relevant and irrelevant. And the original thought behind that was that history changes and that what is relevant in one generation of historical scholarship may often becomes irrelevant in another. You get new information, new interpretations come along. And so that's why it's relevant and irrelevant, because you want to talk about not only what's going on, but also what's happening within the discipline and, and how things are changing and being updated. Here's a perfect example of a relevant and irrelevant response. You know, Bach is relevant, then he's very irrelevant, and then he becomes super relevant. Um, and so, you know, here's sort of in a nutshell what ROI is trying to get across. Um, how do you respond to, to that situation, not just with Bach, but but sort of the, the way that you guys have all now done hundreds of shows this idea of things being relevant and irrelevant or or whatever because our guests often think you know they're often worried before they get on the radio are you considering me irrelevant and it's like no we have to explain that's not what we're after but we do understand that there are trends eddies whatever you want to call them within history so what do you think of that you know uh, i've i've uh, i'll call it booked many many guests on ROI and frequently I get the the resp response because they look at the title relevant or ir irrelevant uh, is, is this like a contest is this like uh, adversarial and I said no if I'm calling you your topic's relevant <laughs> but the thing that struck me is uh, give a shout out to the University of Northern Iowa took a uh, uh, filler class music appreciation and uh, I remember, the only thing I remember from the class is a professor saying exactly what the doctor, good doctor, just said. Bach took it to the, uh, to the end. You couldn't do any more with Baroque. But then he mentioned, and I forgot, uh, thanks to the doctor, he said it was 100 years later, that he came back with a, uh, with a vengeance. And I'm thinking about contemporary music, the rock and roll of the 50s and 60s, which quite frankly went all the way as far as you could go before we came into the Beatles and like right. that. And now it's starting to come back again in certain certain genres, but uh, uh, hugely relevant and irrelevant at the same time. I mean, it was special. Yeah. Terry. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, it's looking at the legacy of in innovators and we could even bring that today, looking at who are our innovators today and what will their legacy be 100, 200 years from now? We don't know. But 100 or 200 years ago from now, excuse me, there will be new perspectives. And therefore, their legacy will change because we look at things differently. Yeah, and I and I think that's a good way to, to end the podcast here is that idea of legacy. And we hope that through the radio portion and, and through the podcast here with this retrospective, you get a little sense of the legacy that ROI is trying to create. Um, and, and we're hoping that this encourages you to go back into the SoundCloud or uh, archives and look at those earlier shows and give them a listen uh, and find out that there's really good stuff there. Um, certainly, if you think about these two subjects, we're still dealing with African-American and race issues and so forth and so on and education and higher education. You know, that, that show was taped 
13 years ago, and it's still absolutely relevant as a topic. And as Terry pointed out, the same thing could be said of Bach and music, you know, the way music trends go and, and trying to make a sense. We've done a lot of shows on people like Bix Beiderbeck and, and so forth and so on, trying to get a sense of that, of their place in history as well. So here we are, you know, a decade past when these shows were taped, and yet they're still very relevant. And, and maybe that's the, the best thing you can say about the, the show is that, that we've done a pretty good job of being relevant. And it was cool to be recognized by the Iowa Broadcast uh, News Association for these two shows. We have won awards. There you wow. go. All right. So we're going to wrap things up today. And you can listen to ROI as it's being broadcast on Friday nights on KLAHD2, 88.5 FM and 106.1 FM in the Quad City region at 9.30 p.m. You can also listen to the show as it's being broadcast on TuneIn.com. Put KLAHD2 in the search box and look for ROI. Many of our previously recorded shows can be heard at SoundCloud.com. Just put KALA Radio in the search Click on the first icon and scroll down to find those vintage, award-winning ROI shows. You can also listen to ROI on all your favorite streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. ROI is recorded at Station KALA, St. Ambrose University.